Hello and welcome to the Court of Outlets podcast. I'm your local Metropolitan Joe, and this week I'm joined by our local Gothamite V. Hi. We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps so that you can skip over those titles if it's something that you haven't read yet or you just aren't interested in reading. So to start off part one, we're going to be covering comics from our long box. Basically, we'll be covering any Trinity titles and the Justice League title. So to start off, I want to talk about Action Comics 1020, which was written by Brian Michael Bendis and drawn by Frank Miller Jr., John Romita Jr. <laughs> Sorry, that took a <laughs> I don't know. It's just something about his art. I just do not like it. Let me give you a hint. Sure. It's bad. It's just bad art. Like, I'm sorry, I know art isn't supposed to be objective, but, like, when you draw, like, a bunch of hatch marks around someone's face so that they don't even have, like, a strong line, but just, like, feathered, it's, it's bad. Okay, you may continue. I'm no, sorry. no, no, it's oh, fine. Also, the proportions are off. Yeah. There, now I'm But done. then again, uh, because when he was doing the Superman Year One with Frank Miller, it does say that his art was inspired by him so it makes kind of sense but then again i never read dark knight returns or anything like that so i have no idea except for a couple panels here and there of what frank miller's art looks like but i don't remember it kind of looking like what is it art term called like hatching cross hatching it's hatching cross hatching is when you got hatches going mm. in two opposite directions no it's hatching but it's not hatching with any real intent mm, no normally people hatch to show shadow and not just like i'm gonna draw lines around his entire face from top to bottom just because it's the side of his face like there's no sign of <laughs> shadows it's just a bunch of extra unnecessary lines if someone who's seen like a lot of work with like hatching and they couldn't understand what they were looking at and they just thought oh comics equal a bunch of lines kind of like jim lee because jim lee i i know he, he's known for having a bunch of lines but he makes it work because he uses them appropriately mm-hmm. they're for shadows you don't put them all over someone's face like tiger marks. Like, they're whiskers. He draws whiskers on characters. <laughs> like, cat whiskers. Like, that's not how they're supposed to be used. And it's it's bad. Also, the faces are, like, not the same shape. Mm-hmm. So, like, you'll have two people standing next to each other. Actually, no. You'll have one person standing in front of a person behind them. And their face is substantially smaller than the person behind them, which makes no sense. Because they're both human beings, so I don't... And it's, it's crazy, fine. too, because I thought he was an uh, upcoming artist, and then I just started reading Dark Knight's Metal, because I never read it before, and he's one of the main artists on that. It's nepotism. There is no... Like, there's so many talented artists who are not even employed at the moment. Like, I could name off 20 offhand who would be great up-and-coming artists who could surpass or, like, keep up with a bunch of, you know, professional artists in the field. You don't have to hire someone who can't understand shadow. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm coming off as mean because it's late, so I'm going to do that. But <laughs> he's... He's so bad. And I don't want to be like, oh, you, this man will never improve because he totally can't. People make fun of, um, oh, who's the guy who drew, like, the pouch guy? The guy who drew, like, so many pouches and oh, um, super Liefeld. guys. Liefeld. People tease Liefeld constantly, but, like, all those problems that people had with his art from back in the day, he fixed all of them. Like, his art's pretty good now. I'm not saying this guy can't improve, but he's definitely, like, where a lot of art students were in high school. 
you know? Mm -hmm. This is not like even art student level. This is, we need to get you one art class to start, you know? And it's not even like, so like during No Justice event, you had Francis Manipal, you had Marcus Toe, and then you had Riley Rosmo. And out of those three artists, I feel like Riley Rossmo's was the most out of place. And you can kind of say that's the same thing with John Romita Jr. and Dark Knight's Metal and even like action comics. Because we just went from Ivan Reyes and Joe Prado, which has amazing art, to now this. I still can't compare the two because Rossmo at least, like his style, it sure is wonky. It sure is different. But it is intentional. Like everything he does has a reason. And even if he does have very big lipped characters, which can kind of come off as offensive <laughs> when he draws certain races a certain way, he still, it's a style and he's consistent. Mm -hmm. Like, and he, he has this consistency that has been built up from years of study and practice. Whereas, you know, comparing it to someone who feathers everything, who can't draw consistently, who looks like a student. It's very amateur. It's it's not even rough intentionally. It's just amateur. It's just someone who needs to go back to studying pretty much from a freshman level up. Anybody but Frank Miller, please. <laughs> True. Frank Miller is famous for his writing, not his art. Mm -hmm. I mean, his art is sort of infamous, and I have heard people go into... You thought my spiral right now is bad. I'm trying so hard not to be mean and everything that comes out of my mouth is mean. But I've heard people way worse. They just would say horrible things about Frank Miller's art because it offended them on such a visceral level. And I don't even remember the, the specifics. I just know that a lot of artists in my community absolutely despise Frank Miller as an artist. So back to where we were getting at. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go. That's okay. I, I brought you there. <laughs> Look, I don't usually see art this bad in comics anymore. And so seeing that, it was mm -hmm. like a jolt of ice. I was like, what is this? Uh, sorry, go ahead. As with all the Bendis comics I've read, I did not enjoy it. I really wish I didn't read it. But I am going to continue reading it because I love Superman that much. I need to make sure that he's going to be okay in the reboot that comes out eventually. Oh, he's not. I, I know. Ugh. But I would have been really excited for this comic. This is something that people have been waiting for since last December when news of Young Justice coming back. This is something that we've all been wanting, which is to see Connor be reunited with Clark and to be introduced to John. That doesn't happen here. It starts off with Young Justice in front of the Hall of Justice. This Again, this is all taking place in how Bendis believes the final battle in Year of the Villain happened. None of these things actually happened in the main story. Because if you actually look back to Justice League 39, when the Quintessens are talking to the Justice League about events that they weren't a part of and didn't actually happen on this Earth, Young Justice is a part of that panel that the Quintessens is explaining. Along with the Terrifics and whatever they were up to. I don't know. I didn't read that. Anyway, Young Justice shows up there. Superman lands there. He sees the team. He's like, okay, this is strange. Tim goes to introduce themselves as Young Justice. And his most recent reference that he can pull for Superman to remember them is Final Crisis. Which I feel like Tim has been a part of many other events after Final Crisis that he could have pulled from. Especially also the fact that... Tim Drake as Red Robin was in the giant Justice League versus villains battle in the Justice League run. Oh no, well Ben just didn't read that. Exactly. So he introduces them 
and Superman recognizes Robin, Cassie, and Naomi, which again begs the question, how does everybody remember Cassie? Every single person seems to remember Cassie, and they all remember that she was a Teen Titan. But nobody remembers Bart, nobody remembers Connor, but everybody knows Cassie. When she hasn't made an appearance since before New 52. Mm. And as soon as this moment happens that we're about to see him, see uh, Connor, completely disregards me. He's like, but we don't have time for pleasantries or introductions. And he starts walking in inside the Hall of Justice. Like, are you kidding me? And then he just says this thing that sounds like somebody who vaguely thinks of Superman sounds like. He's like, but are the rest of you up for battle? Ew. What? What is this? Like, is this Game of Thrones? No. And then again, like, he doesn't remember Connor. He doesn't acknowledge him or anything like that. He just starts walking inside. And this hurt me so much. Mm-hmm. Not just because of anger and disappointment, just, just because of the facts of... Again, in the Superman Reborn story arc, which happened in like 2017, that's when they collided pre-Flashpoint storylines and the New 52, so it all can kind of be linear. Yes, during that time when they were showing flashbacks to um, Superman's death in the 90s, Connor wasn't there. And this could also be because they weren't planning on Connor coming back. We can't really say for sure, but he did also appear in the Super Sons of Tomorrow event with the future Titans. And I feel like Clark would remember Connor. I feel like that was just such a big integral part of his life that there's no way that he would just look at this kid and be like, oh, he's wearing my S. Okay. Moving on. It was also very weird how he, how it was so stilted. I read that panel and it was just like, uh, I don't have time to talk to everyone. I remember Naomi, (laughs) Cassie, and Robin, but I don't have time for you other people. We have to go. And it's like, you just listed off people in the amount of time it took you to be like, I know you and yeah, you could have been like, okay, give me a roll call. Who are these people? You could have even shaken their hands while you're walking. You could have done what procedurals do where they're like, hi, this is Vic. He's from the special forensic unit, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, thanks. Nice to meet you. Here's what I have to show you. You know, he, they could have done like a walk with me thing. Mm-hmm. He could have done like a lot of other stuff. And let's be honest, in comics, you always have time for that, like, emotional punch. Oh, yeah. Someone like that. And it's such a great moment to capitalize off of. And not only that, but if he saw somebody wearing his shield and pretty much his colors, don't you think that would stand out enough to be like, um, who are you? Yeah. How did you get this? How are you wearing that? No, but instead he wanted everyone to know, I know these people... We've met. And then he walks away. And it just, every time I read like a Bendis page, it feels like it's the first draft of someone who's just trying to get through it, you know? Yeah. And it just shows just how much he cares about these characters by him doing it like that. So then after they have a very awkward introduction, they go to this quote unquote battle against the Legion of Doom. And Lex gives a great explanation for him being there. He's like, we have come to take what is rightfully ours, and you have made abundantly clear we have to go through you to get it. So we are here to do that. Oh, that's that way that, see, that's another Bendis-ism. Mm-hmm. He, like, does that sort of, like, forced awkward, like, haha, I can write for the teens. And he's, everyone's awkward and socially immature and, like, can't handle, like, 
full sentences. It reminded me of the Justice League Unlimited episode when Lex Luthor got put inside Flash's body. Yeah, because Flash kind of had that Valley Girl thing going too. Mm -hmm. That's how I always read Ben's script. (laughs) Because everyone sounds the same and they all sound like they're from the Valley. Yeah, especially when they do that whole talking under their breath thing. There's the snide, like, side talking, but there's also an excessive use of the word like, Mm -hmm. if I remember. Oh, yeah. And... We have come to take what is rightfully ours, and you have made abundantly clear we have to go through you to get it. So we are here to do that. Like, then it starts to make sense. But if you hear that in, like, the voice of, like, an adult, it you're just like, what? What's weird? I'm slightly terrified about how well you did that. But so, you know, Lex is talking to them, but again, like, he's not explaining what it is he's there to get. And... Part of me feels like because Bendis didn't even know. He's just like, I need to make these guys fight. They hate each other. I don't need to give that much explanation as to why he's there. I will say in this whole thing, it is nice to see when they show how powerful Connor is. Like, yes, he's super boy, but he's still super strong. He's half Kryptonian. Yes, I knew you were going to laugh that's at his, that. <laughs> that's his slogan. I may be super boy. But I'm also super strong. <laughs> oh, gosh, that sucks. But anyway, but Superman is actually playing the distractor right now to Lex while Connor is literally kicking the floating Legion of Doom's headquarters all the way out into the ocean. Dang. And the Young Justice team is looking at this and, like, Teen Lantern, I think it was that asked, like, what is Connor doing? And Ginny Hex so poetically says he's kicking... The Legion of Doom with his feet bones. Oh no. Ben, ben just, mm-hmm. This is what like a stroke looks like if you <laughs> slow it down to like a decade long. Ah, but at the end of it, you see these mysteriously hooded man and his followers watching the Legion of Doom, Justice League, and Young Justice battle it out from above in their floating city. And he's blaming Lex Luthor for everything as to why they, they're there. Which again, this is another thing that Bendis has. I know this is a very long Bendis rant, but I'm going to continue on this train. I never got off this train until he's off of the titles. But Bendis does this thing where there's always somebody else behind the curtain. There's like a domino effect of curtains. You reveal one, you get an explanation, but oh wait, there's this anonymous orchestrator. And he's more powerful than the one before. Well, it's that it's that trick they do in like crowded marketplaces with like the three cups and the bean. He's constantly doing that to avoid actually telling a story. Because I've seen this done by other writers too where they they actually don't have a point, but they keep stringing you on as if they do because they they keep pulling out new twists until they've walked themselves down into a rabbit hole they can't get out of and then they just get replaced. And then they never have to finish the story that was promised in the beginning because that story doesn't exist. But I also feel like after introducing like five new characters, let's say every three issues or so, everybody gets that there's nothing going on here and you're just buying time until everything resets. Well, you think that, but then I have seen some people who buy like, they'll buy one issue and then they'll like, skip a few weeks uh, maybe a month and then they'll buy another issue and they're like oh i must have missed something and they just kind of read it as if like you know i am i'm out of the loop mm-hmm. but if you read them back to back it's like it's like a bunch of jingles that don't fit together but you were promised a full song and none of them on their own make sense but together they make even less sense so 
I mean, this is intense rant I have been building up, but like that whole thing, that trope of the hooded figure watching, I'm so sick of hooded figures. Like you have no idea. I have seen so many hooded figures in the last two years of comics and I am tired. <laughs> like we don't care about your stupid, people will be wearing hoods that don't even need to wear hoods. Like they'll find a hood and they'll wear it. It has nothing to do with their gimmick or their costume, but they gotta wear a hood so you know they're mysterious and their mystery will be revealed in the next issue where they will not be wearing the hood anymore. Or they'll take off the hood, they'll throw it on the ground, maybe they'll kick it, <laughs> and then it's over. Now we just have this dumb villain or hero or whatever, and you're like, Talia, how cool. What? And she's like, yes, it was me. I was wearing a hood. <laughs> why? Why would you wear a hood in this day and age? Why Why are you wearing a cape? What's happening? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's comics. And we all know that the people who write comics hate comics more than anyone. It's so true. And like even just with Superman alone, just that title alone, you had the introduction of Mr. Oz, shadowy figure wearing a hood. And then we had Apex Luther, shadowy new body wearing a hood then you had event leviathan shadowy silhouette figure with a hood and now we have whoever these guys are going to turn out to be exhausting which again like they all have this the same like page backgrounds or introduction i should say where it's some blue lit room shadow silhouette figure with the hood with multiple screens showing whatever we just saw on the page prior but that was Action Comics. Again, I hated it. 10 out of 10, would not recommend. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, yeah, mine's not too bad. Uh, I wanted to talk about Detective Comics 1020. Mm -hmm. Peter J. Tomasi, as you know, listen, okay, to anyone who's listening to this, um, who's made it this far, I congratulate you. You have somehow survived the fiery hate of Joe. Um, I don't hate Tomasi. Listen, I read his Super Sun series and I loved it. Except for the first issue, which was garbage. Everything else, I loved it. However, ever since he got moved to Gotham, he has been a bitter little potato and he has been destroying everything I love. So, um, I will say there was like, um, it, it starts out at the beginning of a new arc where, you know, he, he started an arc with Mr. Freeze and I loved the beginning of that. I was like, oh yeah, yeah give me that classic Freeze. And then he's like, but what if <laughs> his wife comes back to life and she's more evil than him. She does a bunch of boring crimes and then she injures him so fatally he has to be in the ice, but she doesn't love him. So it's not compelling and we don't care. Doesn't that sound fun, kids? And you're like, no. And he's like, I don't care. I'm sad. <laughs> That's how I saw that in my head. I will not go into my rant about how it was done so poetically, so perfectly in a Batgirl comic. Um, when Mrs. Freeze was brought to life and went evil and how it fit with the tragic beauty of um, Mr. Freeze's character arc. Oops, I guess I just did. Here we go. His whole character arc has been revolving around his love for his wife. Right. He lives and dies by his wife. So they're like, here's your wife. Here she is tragically beyond your your ability to fix her because of the madness of the Lazarus pits. So they're like, here she is absolutely insane. She's homicidal. She's going to kill everyone. What do you do? Do you side with her? 
do you fight her? Do you flee? And he was just like, no, I'm going to destroy this place and die with my wife. And it's just so fitting for him because on the one hand, he's still the same person who lives and dies by his wife. Like, he loves her so much. Right. And it's what makes him a compelling villain that we, we feel for. But on the other hand, it completed his arc. It gave him redemption. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. We get this pale shadow, which was just sort of like cutting the knees off of him, which we saw in the lead up to Detective Comics. We saw it in, um, oh, this cult of Norsemen. Oh, that's right. And Batman just watches them slaughter a man. And he just like, eh. And then like when the man is put back together by the demon or whatever that like used him as a portal, Batman's like, eh. I mean, like he... He let so much happen, and he did so little. He did next to nothing, honestly. He was completely useless. And then he went home to go snuggle up by the books and read about human sacrifice. All cozy, like, in his jammies. And you're like, you stupid, useless man. And then, <sighs> sorry, I'm getting heated, but just to wrap it up, I loved the beginning of the Norse art because Tomasi does this great thing where he promises something fun, something familiar, something interesting. Like, it's, it's the same, but different. It's very, like, I call them, like, three-quarter stories. Yeah. Because he has you, like, interested into it for a good portion of the comic. And then it's, like, the last quarter of the of the book. It's, he gives his surprise, and then it's not the outcome that I'm sure he was expecting. It's kind of like a perversion of um, what I've been reading right now. Because, like, I told you I was reading the the script writing book save the cat Mm -hmm. and um one of the things they do is like okay you're gonna look at that trope you're gonna walk right up to the brink but at the end you must turn away you have to change that trope to make it something fresh so that people want the same thing that they've had but they want it a little bit different so batman has a very familiar um story for us now it's so um, well defined but people are always trying to change it and they either break it or they sort of give you that cozy like this is the story I like this is these are the characters I like this is them acting in character with a new circumstance mm-hmm. however what's been happening with these guys and what I don't even think is like Tomasi I think it's everyone in DC right now they take these characters that have been given to them that aren't their characters and they're trying to leave their mark on them by making them super big, super dangerous, super different. And they're trying to amp up the drama beyond what the story can handle. And it breaks them. And he broke um, Mr. Freeze because he took him away from his classic. Like, like his purpose was to bring back his wife. And it's not even him acting out of character, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, he's still pretty much stating character, but he took the story and he broke it because basically he took away Reese's agency. As soon as Nora went crazy, he just kind of became the shell of a man. He became kind of useless. And the only thing to do with him after that was to freeze him because there was nothing, he had no motivation. He was just kind of like a limp rag of a, of a character. Like, he's helping Batman, but he's kind of like, it's not like he's like, motivated in any real way it's just kind of like ugh, my wife dumped me boo you know (laughs) and it just kind of broke this really beautiful 
poignant um, part of his personality. So in this one, we're getting Two-Face and like typical Tomasi fashion, it starts off real cozy where you're like, oh my gosh, he's back in town. He's like struggling with like his multiple personality disorder. It seems to have gotten a bit worse. Mm -hmm. He's um, dealing with um, these guys who two-timed him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and my super boy, super strong. That was ridiculous. But Two-Face being two-timed. Listen, it's true. He got he got two timed by two men who were twins, and then he got shot twice, and then and guess what he was stealing? He was stealing coins that were made in like 1922 or something. So basically, two dollar bills. It's just <laughs> useless, honestly. It was like okay, no, it's fine. I bet you he did it on February 2nd too. He did probably. I mean, you know he did. It's because this guy is like full of puns, and I'm just like, all right, we're warming up. We're we'll eventually get tired of that, but. You know, we haven't seen Two-Face in a while, so go for it. Run through all the jokes. And so Tomasi does. He, like, has him shot twice by twins. And Batman's looking through everything. He's, like, messing up the crime scene. He's putting acid in the walls to pull out bullets. He's, like, touching everything and licking it or whatever he does. And then he goes and says, oh, it looks like they shot Two-Face twice. We cut to Two-Face getting, like, the bullets pulled out by some doctor and he has like some sort of like mental break where he like goes from like trying to comfort his hostage to like freaking out and murdering him and you're like oh and you're like oh wow i don't remember them being that disjointed but like i said we haven't seen him in a while Mm -hmm. and so you're like okay this is you know still not too crazy and we kind of see how batman reacts to it like oh my old friend is back like i was wondering what happened to him and he's like i wonder what made him come up and then he finds out, oh, yeah, the crime scene, there are these cleaners. And they're basically religious zealots. He's got, like, turns out, and this is what's revealed at the end, our buddy Two-Face has a cult. And not like a like a cult of carnage, but like a legit, like, Christian cult. Like, yeah. he, he straight up has people doing religious ceremonies in his honor, like taking wafers and inputting bombs in their brains and wearing robes with his logo on them and like chanting hit like motivational things like my word is my bond and like killing themselves before the cops can take them and it's just like i think the wafers were the part where i was like oh that was insane when i saw that and it took me a little bit to realize that it wasn't just them like swallowing like whatever was going to implode their brains Mm -hmm. and that it was part of like this weird ritual thing which again also this is the third cult that i know of that tomasi has written in yeah (laughs) and it's not even like we had like a little breather our little breather between these cults was the mr free story arc yeah that was it Well, Tomasi kind of, I feel like he's using cults the way like Marvel uses Deadpool. It's like, I don't really know what to do with this. So I'm just going to throw in a cult because cults are scary. But also he doesn't even like like use them for any real purpose anymore. They just kind of exist to exist. Goons and henchmen are overrated. We need cults now. We need people who chant and, and like look sort of like zombie-ish. We need them to be influenced by more than just getting paid. It's yeah there we go so it kind of it's like he just sees these villains as like cartoonish characters instead of like having those rich backstories that they do you know Mm -hmm. so we'll see what he does but i feel like just given his track record we're going to see like 
him trying to leave his mark by having something super big and then it'll fizzle out in the end when he doesn't know what to do with it and it'll just kind of like putter out into like a non-ending and then he'll start over and it really sucks too because like i'm just a little more disappointed because out of batman's rogues two-face and mr freeze are definitely like my top three like favorites really? yeah i've always really liked them i've like their motivations to do what they do. Harvey, I've always loved seeing his origin. Mm. I like seeing like that slow devolve into the villain that we know them as. And I feel like in terms of Harvey Dent, the best interpretation of this origin I've seen is in the Batman Telltale games. Oh, really? Yeah, when you slowly actually see like after Harvey's injury, he starts to slip in the word we instead of the word I. Mm. And just like little hints here and there. That's what I love to see because you know what he's going to become. But yeah, but they've always been like two of my top three favorite rogues of Batman. And it really sucks to read these characters. And I know that it's not going to be done right. Mm. Well, I mean, it doesn't like undo what's been done in the past or what will be done in the future. Mm -hmm. But again, like even in terms of like Two-Face, like with a man as unpredictable as him, since he literally bases all of his decisions off the toss of a coin. He could be leading his followers to some big thing and then in the split second he's going to flip his coin and then he's just going to turn his back on his followers and murder them all mm. just for the sake of doing it. But even in like in this one, he kills the doctor and then Harvey is like mortified from it. Right. Which does kind of like show this complete lack of control that you're like, how does a man that out of control manage to brainwash an entire fleet of human beings? And then I realized I've read real stories of cult leaders who were insane and deranged and definitely like not in control of their actions. Mm -hmm and taking sledgehammers to their own followers and i'm just like well i mean it's not out of the bounds of possibility but i still don't understand it and also here's the thing about two-face is that he has he does have rich potential it doesn't fit to have a cult like it's not it doesn't fit with anything in his motivation or his past or his psychology but I do think that Tomasi did something right in the beginning because there's this like nice red box that's like telling you what he's thinking. And he's talking about how much it hurts. Mm -hmm. He like was talking about how he's always in pain all the time. He feels this pain under his skin, how every move is agony. And I was thinking, yeah, I never think about that. But like all that scar tissue. Oh my gosh, looks yeah. fresh all the time, how he's always like in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. Like, hell yeah, I would be too. And especially if I had like a pre-existing problem with like mild psychosis that I'd just barely been keeping under control. <laughs> and then I just completely flame out after like one traumatic situation. <sighs> Anyways, I like Two-Face. I have not explored him as fully as I want to. And seeing it done wrong makes me want to see it done right. Yeah. But speaking of like Gotham rogues and stuff being done right, I read Year the Villain Hell Arisen number three, written by James Tinian, our boy, who is definitely doing good with this Year the Villain miniseries. Ooh. I have been really enjoying it. Plus, Steve Epting's art is pretty good. Yeah. So where we left off, the infected Gordon has the infected uh, Justice League members and Titans members holding Apex restrained, pretty much, because Apex broke into the Hall of Justice trying to get these secrets to get the cure to save these people from the Batman who laughs. While they have Apex 
uh, restrained, Commissioner Gordon starts telling Lex about this old Gotham joke about what would happen if Lex Luthor did this big complicated thing in Gotham City. Because they know how Lex is just big for the dramatics. It's always a giant laser or a giant robot or something. Mm-hmm. And then they just simply say, it's like, well, Batman would beat the shit out of him. He went on for a good explanation. It's like, yeah, Lex is ridiculous. He is dramatic. He does exaggerate a lot. And then he just starts to berate him some more, saying how he always thinks these big and complicated plans, and that's what gets him defeated by the most simple things. And he's like, that's your gimmick. And cops in Gotham, we know our gimmicks. You are a gimmick. Commissioner Gordon. Ugh. Like, right yeah. right after Gotham is Central City in terms of knowing their gimmick. <laughs> it was just funny considering Tinian had this whole, like, spiel about how he hated referential stuff in, like, DC Comics, how everything had to reference something else, how you can't just have, like, a story on its own. It has to reference all these other things <laughs> in past stories and how... And it's just like, yeah, well, we know our gimmicks. We're gimmicky over here. It's gimmick central all the time. (laughs) He may not like it, but he knows that it works. (laughs) So the Joker appears because that's what Lex sent Mercy uh, to go get him to help him out because he knows that he's going to need the Joker's help in stopping the Batman who laughs. And I guess breaking into the Hall of Justice, Joker got a hold of some type of teleporter named Warp. And after rescuing Lex from Gordon and the uh, other infected, Lex reminds the Joker about how... Batman Who Laughs has the technology inside the Hall of Justice. They can trace any teleporter. So then Joker's like, yeah, that's true. So he tells Warp to go teleport to a bunch of other random places and then kill himself to throw the Batman Who Laughs off their trail. Wait, how does he get Warp to do his bidding? All he really said was that he tortured him and subdued him. Okay. But I will say that the Joker is written really well in this. Like, it, it brought me back to, like, Mark Hamill, 90s Batman Joker. It is written yeah. so well. I mean, I get that, like, he also voiced the Joker in um, Justice League Action, but it definitely gave me those vibes. Mm-hmm. Where it was, like, amped up levels of silliness. But I did like that. I really enjoyed how the Joker was portrayed in this. Oh, yeah. Like, just the words and everything. Like, he knows when to be silly. He knows when he cracks his jokes and stuff. You also see another appearance of his new girlfriend, Punchline. Oh holding mercy hostage and she is getting so much fame right now so they are hyping her up way more than i think it's actually gonna be well they're hoping she'll be the next harley quinn you know yeah like we created this original character everything's about marketing right now pretty much just move past it be like okay i see what you did now settle down but i will say that my favorite moments with the joker is when he's serious because it's very rare and when lex brings up the batman who laughs joker gets serious and just at the mention of him he tells him like you don't speak of him here i told you i told you it's wrong i told you it's wrong that you shouldn't work with this and i also like lex's phrasing when he was telling joker he's like i needed your help to stop the batman who laughs so he uses his telepathy and to just get into joker's mind and says the world's smartest mind is about to crack the world's most twisted i was like Oh, this is going to be good. While Lex is basically doing this, it cuts to the Batman who laughs, who you see has one of the last of the monitors. His name was like Nix Votan, Votan, who was called the Super Judge, and he has him hostage. And you also see, which shocked me, that his Robins are cloned Cadmus Dublex, which, if you don't know, Dublex was a genomorph that 
used to help Cadmus Labs. He was also very famous for helping Superboy when he was trying to make a name for himself out in Hawaii back in the 90s. So he became like a very big beloved character in terms of like the Superman family. So I was just really shocked to see that because Doblex is, as a genomorph, they have telepathy. So Batman Who Laughs is doing to this super judge what Lex is doing to the Joker, pretty much, just getting into their mind. The two pages that you see of what Joker is envisioning while Lex is doing this to him, it's lovely and psychotic art at the same time. Like, it just looked very, not psychedelic, I don't really know how to say it, but like all of the colors and everything, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed looking at that. And it was also kind of funny to see how Joker is envisioning himself in the Batcave being uh, having his surgery done by Batman and Alfred. Mm. And basically Apex uh, Lex concludes that the Joker toxin is suppressing the moral centers of the infected's brains, but it's mainly the micro doses of the dark matter from the Batman who last metals, which are acting as receptors for his energy, which is causing these people to be part of his team of the infected. And Joker reminds Lex that this is getting way out of hand and that none of this makes any sense. And he tells Lex to basically do what he does best and to stop playing the part in Perpetua's game, which was so funny. Like, I just love his reference of he's like, it's the dark night in the Prince of Crime. It's not Batman goes to the moon. Yeah, he had like a longer rant too and it kind of encapsulated everything that DC's been doing wrong, which was my rant that, you know, they're trying to make everything too big and too epic and they're breaking the formula mm -hmm. and lex was referencing like yeah it's not batman goes to the moon it's not this whole thing this is a mess this is an abomination he's like it was always you know in his mind like he's a starring role not in mine necessarily but like batman dealing with small problems in a very human way it's a different story than all of this like epic grand scale stuff with no humanity and almost no heart because like i was telling you dark metal does go edgy and on its face it does look like it's going to be like that but then when you dive into it it has a lot of that those close-up relationships the breaking and rebuilding of people's characters and like it does kind of let you have that small scale humanness in the face of apocalypse which i feel like we didn't get as much of with the year of the villain no, not so much. And again, it may also just be because a lot of the storylines were very confusing. Like, how is this happening here when in their run this is going on? But wait, the thing in the sky is showing up at the same time when they're over here. Like, there was a lot of conflicting things. And for the most part, you didn't see so much relationships, but you saw the changing of characters, more so the villains during their... Visually. Yeah, visually during their one shot. Yeah. It's more spectacle than substance. Mm -hmm. Whereas I definitely agree with you, like just a little bit of Dark Knight's Metal that I read, there was definitely more like meat in the writing mm -hmm. compared to Year of the Villain. And a lot of research. They really research oh, yeah. what makes certain characters tick and move them forward from there. Um, I mean, not even in that, like if you go to the Commissioner one, like that one went real deep into like the relationship between Batman and the Commissioner, the mm -hmm. relationship between the Commissioner and his son, how the, what makes the Commissioner tick, what would break him, what would turn him, what would make him the strongest he can be. And that's what I think makes the Batman who laughs, like the stories that he's a 
part of like it makes it really good because yes this is a this is a version of a joker but it's a version of batman batman is always that thinker he's always trying to be five steps ahead so it does dive into like these deep plots of like this investigations and stuff like that that being said i do feel like batman who laughs is the weakest part of those stories Mm. like he himself i'm sorry he does not interest me because his whole backstory is whoopsie daisy i got in yeah (laughs) toxin like and then i killed everyone do you want to hear how i killed them want to hear how i got these scars (laughs) not really no but it doesn't really compel a person like these long drawn out thrillers that it becomes where it's like a cat and mouse game. And you're like right there with the heroes, um, watching them hide, watching them confined, watching them trying to save each other and themselves. It's very interesting and compelling that way versus like the Batman who laughs where you're just like, well, he's just a monster, you know, mm-hmm. he's that monster that you could never imagine batman becoming and so in a very extremely contrived way he became that way so it's it could just be any monster honestly it could be the embodiment of batman's nightmare like he doesn't have to be from the dark multiverse he Mm -hmm. could just be anything but he is a monster and because he is batman because he has those kids on leashes because he references crowbars and makes them recite it back to him like that's horrifying to batman and you can see how horrified he is. And so then it works. Wait, they like, reference crowbars? Yeah, because the kids are, keep saying crow. I was wondering what that was about. Well, that's how Jason Todd was murdered. Yeah, that that I knew. But I couldn't understand why they were saying crow. That's all because he had so many robins that, you know, it was like a horde of like crows or whatever. Right. No, he's definitely taunting Batman. Oh my gosh. Ah. Oh. Because you do see it in one of the comics where, because they kept saying crow, crow, crow. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, like, Batman says bar. <gasps> oh so, my gosh. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Oh, it's kind of gross, but I really want to read that now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so twisted. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely, like, there is that edge, but, like, there's that substance as well. And I'm not going to, like, defend every part of Dark Metal because, like, where the other characters are concerned like you've read their one-off yeah and i didn't like those like <laughs> kind of reads like bad improv on every level and so it, it kind of had like all these slapped together plots where it was like um slippery slope it's it's a hundred percent slippery slope all the time like what would happen if i see power that's so evil that i should never possess but someone i love in trouble well i'm gonna break all my rules and have that you're like that doesn't sound like batman like, it felt like a lot of these side stories, and I'm, I am including the Grim Knight, which came later, and even the Batman Who Laughs backstory. All that stuff felt very lame. <laughs> they were so lame. But the story itself, the main story, is so, it's intricate, but it's well explained, it's well paced, and it does have that substance to it. So I, I know we devolved into talking about it before, but that's one of those ones where you can be like, oh, this is how you can handle having your big epic, but also like you can have um, those smaller stories. Yeah. And just to put a close on the Hillerism thing, like at the end of the comic, Lex confronts the Batman who laughs and his army at the Hall of Justice because he listened to the Joker and he kind of goes back to his roots where he knows what he does best, which is plotting and working well with the other villains. 
And so he has his team, which consists of like Grundy, Lobo, Oracle, Clarion, and Captain Cold going against the Batman who laughs and his infected team. I'm sorry, did you say Oracle? Yeah, so not Barbara. Oracle, the actual oh. computer like AI came to life in the her one-off. I keep forgetting that that's a thing now. Mm-hmm. But okay. that was Year of the Villain. And that concludes the comics that we had for part one. So V, could you please read out a couple of the other DC comics that came out this week? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like there were, there was one number one that came out called Leviathan Dawn. Um, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I saw some stuff for it. I am not tempted to read anything Leviathan related. I think Leviathan's boring. <sighs> So yeah, there's that. There's Batgirl 44. There's a Batman Beyond 41. We have Sean Gordon Murphy's beautiful Batman Curse of the White Knight, Mm -hmm. number seven. Uh, There's a Black Label uh, Basketful of Heads from Hill House, uh, number five. Then we have some DC Previews 23. I have no idea what that is. That's basically just a little clip together of all the upcoming things that DC has coming out. Kind of like what Marvel does. I forget what they call it, though. I think it's called the same thing, actually, like Marvel previews or whatever. I've actually never picked up anything like that. Me either. I haven't read them. I assume they're just a bunch of ash cans stitched together. Pretty much are, like, little, like, descriptions from, like, the writers and artists. Like, I know they have a little segment for the Strange Adventures coming out. All right. Well, I also know that Hellblazer number four is coming out. The John Constantine colon Hellblazer, which is, I guess, different than regular Hellblazer, but whatever. Um, let's see. Justice League Dark number 20, which doesn't have Tinian on it anymore. So this is Rambi's first issue. Yeah, well, this is, I think Tinian is actually co-writing this one with Ram V, but after this one, Ram V is just going to be the the main writer on this from now on, since Tinian is just going to be working with Batman. <laughs> it's just like training wheels, but after this, you're on your own. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how it went down, Joe. Um, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 43, Shazam, number 11, Suicide Squad, number 3, and then there's the Swamp Thing Giant number three my gosh i did read shazam shazam was really really good really yeah i liked it especially because the main boiler thing but superboy prime breaking out at the end of the issue ah you're so predictable oh my gosh i know listen i grew up with jeff john's teen titans run and superboy prime played a big part in that so but anyway so for a couple of the marvel titles coming out this week we had Amazing Spider-Man Daily Bugle number two. You have Avengers 31. You have Falcon and Winter Soldier number one, which I read. It was good. I am very um, excited for the next issue. And the art was great. I really enjoyed it. Then you had a one-shot of Fantastic Four, Grim Noir, uh, Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey, and Emma Frost number one. I did not like that. It was like that one um, Batman comic that Tom King did where there was no words the entire time. Oh, no. Yeah, it was literally that. And then Jessica Jones Blind Spot number four. That's also really good. You had Star Wars number three, X Force number eight, X Men number seven, X Men Fantastic Four number two, and then 2020 Force Works number one. But I, that's part of the new like 2020 uh, thing they have going on. So they have an Iron Man 2020. I think they have a Rescuer, I think is another one that came out last week or next week. Mm. I'm not exactly sure. That's like their version of like 2099. Oh. Yeah. But thank you for listening to part one. Stay tuned to Word for Our Sponsor, and we will be right back with more of this week's comic. This episode is brought to you in part by Big Belly Burger. 
What started in Coast City had soon become a nationwide favorite. From Green Lantern to The Flash, many heroes can agree this is one LexCorp subsidiary that all people can enjoy. Head on down to your nearest Big Belly Burger and download their new app. Use the code COOPOD and you'll get a free Big Belly Buster Burger. All you have to do is download the app, sign up for their rewards program, and apply the code COOPOD to your account so you can walk in and redeem your free Big Belly Buster Burger. Hello and welcome back to part 2. This is where we cover all the titles in our short boxes from DC, Marvel, Image, you get it. For this part, I read Batman Superman number 7, once again written by Joshua Williamson, amazingly. And the art, sadly, is no longer from David Marquez. No! I know. It is now from Nick Darrington. Have you ever seen his art before? I feel like I have. It's okay. I think it was bad. It's not bad. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Christopher Jones, who did the art for the Young Justice television comics. It's not bad. I mean, it's no, it's not David Marquez, but it's not bad. I, it's it's good. So thank you again to the oh. editors. Oh, you just looked. Yeah, I remember now. No, I I don't like it very much. It's. Uh overly rendered i also just wanted to say once again a big thanks to the editors that work with joshua williamson because they are so on top of the game with all of their stuff they know exactly like oh this happens before this this happens after that they are, do such a great job so this actually takes place before hell arisen you start off with Zod giving a monologue and what he's wants to work with Rachel Ghoul for, and it's to use the Lazarus pits to bring back the lost bottled city of Kandor that got destroyed by Rogel Czar in Bendis's Man of Steel graphic. Which, oh man, I was so excited as soon as I read that because, as you know, I hated what happened to Kandor when I read that. That was such a big part of like Superman's history. And so seeing like this whole lost bottled city of Kandor get destroyed, I felt as bad as Clark and Kara when they when they saw that thing. So Zod's plan, because he in Bendis's Superman run, Zod has been off world trying to rebuild a new Krypton with his family. And so I was a little bit confused as to why he was showing up in this Batman Superman. But now it makes sense because he's trying to bring back more Kryptonians. So that's why he needs to work with Rachel Ghoul and use these Lazarus pits. I'm honestly completely lost. So I haven't read Batman and Superman for a bit. And I remember, weren't they like dealing with the Batman who laughs? They were, and they tried to take care of it by themselves, and it didn't work out. And so in the last issue, they go to talk to Diana and everybody else about it. And Diana explains to them, like, listen, we're hurt that you didn't come to us. This team is built on trust. And why does it feel like you guys can't trust us to help you get this stuff done? And then they, they all just basically agreed at the end of it that they're all going to work together to try and stop the Batman who laughs. And it's like, okay, on to the next plot. What? No! I know. This isn't that kind of a story. I know. You can't do procedurals in the middle. And also, look, listen, Wonder Woman. <laughs> you're the dead mother and you're the moral arbitrator or whatever. But your name isn't on the cover. This is a buddy comedy. It's Batman, Superman. There ain't no Wonder Woman in the title. <laughs> Oh, I thought we were doing a different story. No. All right, I'm, I'm on board. So you see Bruce and Clark on Strikers Island looking for the remains of somebody called the Kryptonite Man. His name was Clay Ramsey um, because they heard reports that somebody was stealing his body parts. 
possibly because, you know, they're kryptonite infused. Apparently this guy was created during New 52 back in 2012, so that's why I never heard of him before. And then as they're there, Ra's al Ghul jumps from the trees to attack Superman with a synthetic kryptonite sword. And they didn't know it was Ra's al Ghul because he was dressed like a ninja, but Batman recognized his fighting style. And then, you know, dramatically Ra's takes off the helm. He's like, very good detective. <laughs> and then what was so funny is that he attempts to drop a smoke bomb and get out of there, but you can't use that against Superman. Superman literally flew through the smoke bomb and grabbed Rage. He's like, why do you have this kryptonite sword? <laughs> he like had some snarky comment for Superman as he left too. Like, yeah, he's yeah. like, I have to bid adieu or something like that. He said something about Superman versus how he does things, I think. He had like something to say about him, like very condescending. So it was fun to see it cut short. It was great. I love that scene a lot because it just shows you like there's just some things that people are so used to dealing with Batman with. Like, ah, yes, a traditional smoke bomb will get me away from him. Oh, wait, he has super speed. Never mind. And so Superman reminds uh, Ra's al Ghul and the readers about like what I said in the beginning, how Zod has been off planet. Why would Zod be here now? Ray says that he rejected Zod's offer to revive Kandor with the Lazarus Pits, and so Zod wants to kill Ra's al Ghul now. And he's also going to stop at nothing to find these Lazarus Pits, which of course only Ra's al Ghul knows the locations of. And so Bruce and Clark say that they're going to go take care of it, thanks for the tip, Ra's, and then Ra's al Ghul's like, uh-uh-uh, detective, I'm coming with you. And I have... I have my own toys. So they go into what he calls the demon wing, which is basically his jet. And you just see Bruce and Raish flying there. Raish has his cup of tea or whatever. And you see Clark flying alongside them. And you see them looking at Clark and Clark waves at them. I did see that. That was <laughs> such a cheesy. Yes, you see him like, hi, like through the window, like a little distance. It was little... so great. Oh. <laughs> I do really love how Superman is written in Batman Superman because he is so wholesome. It's so He's great. Got the wholesomeness amped up, which honestly I haven't seen wholesome Superman in so long. I know, and that's also what I really love about Joshua Williamson because he does add this in his Flash run. He is really good at adding like that hopeful positivity, but can be like you know serious and aggressive when they need to be. Awesome. Yeah, I really do love him as a writer. And he was a great person to talk to for a couple minutes at Rose City. So they take the demon wing to this Lazarus Pit location and they were too late. Zod was already there and he already emptied out the bottled city of Kandor into the Lazarus Pit. And then you just see all these tiny little Lazarus Pit angered Kandorians flying towards Zod, Clark, Bruce, and Ra's al Ghul. And it was so funny too because when Ra's was giving the, um, the story to Clark and Bruce about how he turned down the offer, he's like, I know what the Lazarus Pit can do to a, a mere mortal. I do not want to think about what it would do to a revived Kryptonian. I mean, we saw that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've liked Luther's homemade Lazarus pit goo. And Batman's like, I don't know, throw a flash through it. <laughs> and Flash is like, all right. And then we get angry Superman. That's what I have for Batman Superman. Once again, I am excited to read the next issue. It is so good. I need to catch up. I love Batman Superman. Every book I've read has been fun. It's been great. Batman is dark because he is so concerned about people around him and superman is too wholesome to let him do brood alone and it's 
it's just a great dynamic and once again like the monologue is so spot on between the two and it reminds me so much of the superman batman comics from like 2005 2006 or something like that Mm. it's just so good i enjoy it so much Mm, that's wonderful i'm glad you had a good time me too I had a good time as well. Oh, you, you did. Hear about my latest obsession? You know I do. <laughs> well, I have been, I think two weeks ago, I talked about Ravencroft number one. Mm-hmm. I went in blind. I just picked up a book at random because um, I wanted to have, I was jealous of you and Muse, basically. You guys kept talking about your foray into Marvel comics. Aww. And I'm like, I was reading Deadpool for a long time, but I don't like Deadpool as much anymore. But you've been reading Black Cat. I have been reading black cat and i've been enjoying it but i needed something in the meantime so i picked up ravencroft it sounded serious and i thought oh it's just gonna be another group of superhumans they're gonna do some superhuman stuff i see misty knight i don't know what she's been <laughs> up to i don't know misty knight this is a good place to start so it was not a good place to start there is a ton of backstory but i am here to break it down for you because i have done my research this time so ravencroft number two came out this week and it is by frank Thierry, who I think he's a pretty good writer, honestly. Like, I've read a lot of his stuff, and I like him lots. So, this guy not only wrote Ravencroft itself, but he wrote the three preambles. The Ruins of Ravencroft, Sabretooth 1, Ruins of Ravencroft, Carnage 1, and Ruins of Ravencroft, Dracula 1. Carnage was the one I read, Mm -hmm. and it is so good. This isn't a review of that one, but you should read it. It talks about the history of the land beneath Ravencroft, and how it's haunted it's just always been haunted um speaking of haunted uh this story like i said it's about misty knight it's about john jameson j jonah jameson's kid right the astronaut the astronaut and nobody reminds me of that tumblr meme more than john jameson like that one where the astronaut comes out of the shuttle and like says moon's haunted (laughs) and you're like like, what and he grabs a gun gets back in the (laughs) moon's haunted It's that kind of a vibe. So he basically, John got out of the shuttle the first time. He's like, Carnage, I got that virus and it's going to take over the world. So he brought one host to Earth. Then he decided that wasn't enough. So he went back up to the moon. He found a red rock. He brought that back to Earth. Turns out it was a werewolf rock. And that is why he is a werewolf now. There's a bunch of history behind his werewolf. Oh my gosh, that makes sense why it was on the moon. Why? Oh, because of lunar... Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yes, and he is affected by the moon. So, anyways, lots of stuff happens. He gets kidnapped by Morbius, who experiments on him. There's all sorts of crazy shenanigans that go on. But in the midst of all that, at some point, he was employed as a security guard at Ravencroft, and he was dating the lead doctor. Now, I'm going to (laughs) briefly, briefly touch on the history of Ravencroft. Okay. Back in the 90s, there was a run called Spider-Man Unlimited. (laughs) You may have heard of it. (laughs) Spider-Man Unlimited number one introduced um, Carnage. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I don't think it introduced him, but it did show him escaping Ravencroft, which was, you know, maximum security prison for the criminally insane. And uh, Carnage Cassidy was an absolute wacko. He still is. And uh, the Venom symbiote got him. He became Carnage. He took with him another crazy person named Shriek, who I believe is a woman. Um, I mean, she is a woman. I don't know why. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. So they're, (laughs) they're buddies. And they escaped so john jameson was working i think at the head 
as the head of security at the time. And Ashley Kafka, I think she was one of the original doctors who tried to help um, Craven the Hunter. Uh, but yeah, so she is leading Ravencroft and she got like in trouble for him escaping. But then there were other stories, I think, where they were talked about how like this was like a really great place for reforming villains. And they even reformed people like Vermin, who went back to work there. Wow. So this is better than Arkham Asylum. Yes. Except then, they started throwing in all Spider-Man villains. And, you know, they have plot immunity. So right. So it became Arkham. Where it's just a revolving <laughs> door of them escaping. <laughs> and I think at some point, Ashley got fired because people kept escaping. And I think she got rehired again. Mm. It's a whole mess. And I think John got fired and rehired. Anyways, Ashley Kafka... She um she was like the head of it for a really long time. And then like in the middle of the clone, well, no, wait. there was a whole thing. You remember when Dr. Octopus was in Spider-Man's body? Yeah, Superior Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That During that time, Kafka was murdered by massacre. Mm-hmm. There was a whole riot and it was a mess. So then later, in the clone conspiracy, she, her clone was brought back. And then oh. she wandered off never to be seen again oh no so it was like a whole thing like we don't know what's happening but you don't need to because it's marvel so um none of that's super important what is important is that you read cult carnage because that is referenced constantly if you don't know what happened in the cult carnage you're gonna be so confused the whole time was this so- the recent uh donny kate story or is that absolute think- carnage yeah good question i have no idea i feel like he did absolute carnage but i don't remember who did Cult of Carnage. Okay. Okay, but here are the highlights, all right? Mm-hmm. Ready? Okay, so Werewolf Boy, John Jameson, was investigating some mysterious happenings in a small town. He discovered that it was a cult. And then he discovered this cult was being led by Carnage, who was forcefully <laughs> infecting people with his cursed symbiote offspring. So John turns into his Wolfman form to fight them off. But it was in fact, it's so silly. Wolfmen are silly. <laughs> Anyways, he fought them off. But then he was forcefully infected, and it kind of turned him into, like, a sleeper agent. Oh, no. So he gets rescued by his buddy Misty Knight. And then, I think when they were on a plane or something, he betrays her. And Venom and Spider-Man had to team up to stop him. But here's the thing. So he kidnaps Misty Knight. He imprisons her in the heart of Ravencroft. Then <laughs> he um, he's going to sacrifice her to the demon goblin or something. Of course. <laughs> yeah, so he's got to sacrifice her at the bidding of Cassidy. And then Deadpool shows up <laughs> and destroys Ravencroft. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. Basically tears it down to it. I don't remember how he did it either. He basically burns down Ravencroft. He shows up like the... Ugh. Anyways, so yeah, Deadpool. Shut up, ruined everything. Carnage couldn't murder John because... Oh, sorry, I, I totally skipped a part. So Misty was a captive, Misty escapes now john's in trouble with carnage carnage tries to kill john carnage fails to kill john deadpool shows up deadpool steals the strain burns down the place um cassidy runs after him and there's john left in the rubble so john is like supposedly cured but nobody knows for sure Mm -hmm. misty doesn't know john doesn't know the kingpin doesn't know and Misty is really worried about John. Now, the Kingpin is running Ravencroft. He is the mayor and he is getting it set up again, which I guess is important because it is New York's new Arkham Asylum. Right. They need to put those crazies somewhere. So Kingpin sets it up. Now, of course, everybody knows how corrupt Kingpin is, so they're keeping an eye on him. 
Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four is keeping an eye on him. Misty Knight is there to keep an eye on him, but she hates his guts and she can't be quiet about it. Every panel, she's like, that guy. <laughs> what are you doing walking down this hallway? You taking more bribes? But honestly, like if you're walking in blind to Ravencroft 1, you're like, why is he the warden of a prison now? <laughs> and why is his cabinet of like advisors and shareholders like completely secret? And it turns out it's because they're basically this sinister six. Right. So that explains also why they want John back because he is a veteran of this place. He's worked here before. He's very familiar with how to like you know take care of criminals whatever mm -hmm. and in the first one we see like people going after him and attacking him and misty having to step in because he won't turn into his werewolf form to stop them and it kind of just does this sort of like slow reveal of different things like revealing that the inmates are running the asylum that kingpins not on the up and up which like surprise and also that something horrifying lives underneath the prison so in the second one we start off keenpin i believe because keenpin actually has written really well in this he's he like, is you see his motivations you understand where he's coming from his fears his desires he's not a caricature he's very much a real person and you kind of see his point of view it's kind of ironic because it seems like misty knight is the most cartoonish person here she has one note and she plays that note and it's like could you <laughs> personality but i mean like all of it so far has been definitely like this cool easter egg in the marvel universe where it's just been like this spooky tone overall where you're just like i don't know what's about to happen but i feel so like like you know something's going to happen oh hell yeah something with spirals too which like reminds me of i can't even remember his name but you know that japanese horror writer uh he did all those horror comics about like things like spirals or those holes in rocks no. Well, it just preys on phobias, honestly. And there's this whole thing in the Carnage one where it's like the ground below Ravencroft is cursed to hell. Like, it's so cursed. And people go mad and murdery. And it they get like spirals in their eyes and they make spirals out of human body parts. It's nuts. There were people wearing human skin. Oh my there gosh. There were people like making sculptures out of bones. It was crazy. There were also cave paintings of Venom. I don't know. Anyways, or the symbiote, whatever you call it. So anyways, I would recommend this book. It's really good. Um, getting into the meat of it, I guess I'll reveal some spoilers. Um, so John reveals that he's terrified of turning back into his wolf form, but also he's not like stopping it on purpose like we thought. Like you thought before, oh, he's terrified of turning back into his wolf form because he doesn't want to lose control. No, he just can't. He's lost complete control oh. of his powers. He can't go back if he wants to, and it will happen without his permission mission so it's just random now mm -hmm. and he's scared so that's him and then misty herself is um let's see she's i'm trying to think what she's done that's new not a lot she's just kind of postured herself a bunch i think the biggest reveal is that wilson fisk is not doing this out of any malicious intent but he is basically being mind controlled and he knows he's being mind controlled which is just so upsetting but there are these creatures in ravencroft and they're not like mythical creatures from the depths of hell these are people who were experimented on in horrifying ways by Ravencroft and um, they are nightmarish to look at and they definitely need to feast on bodies there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would know more if I did the Dracula one. Um, I'm sure more is revealed in that one mm -hmm. and we do see a little bit of Sabretooth in his explanation of why he turned over a new leaf um, and I think Misty Knight is just like a really good counselor there so he's been talking to her and he's decided to become a good guy. 
So we see a bunch of people try to beat him up for being a good guy. Uh, compared to like the first issue when you said like she couldn't give two shits during the council meetings. She's so like, I'm a strong, independent woman. I don't <laughs> like people. I'm angry all the time. And she's always like posturing, you know, like someone else be like, hi. And she's like, what is it to you? What are you talking right. about for? You know, like, sheesh, calm down, lady. It's I just taking the New York attitude to an extreme. I get that. Like, Ravencroft is scary, and there's a lot of things happening that are not okay, but she's definitely not coping with this in a positive way. She's just taking it out on everyone, which I don't know. If you're a counselor, maybe that's not your best move. Anyways, it works on Sabretooth because he's reformed now. Um, but yeah, the monsters are definitely, um, they have powers. They are free. They were trapped in Ravencroft and they compelled Kingpin to come there and free them. And he's like aware that his body's My so. gosh. So it's horrifying. He knows that they have him over barrel, but he's also still worried about like keeping up appearances. Of course. As the mayor and appearing in control. He gets blackmailed by somebody and he feeds him them to the creatures. <laughs> it's yeah, and it's a really cold way. Cause like he does this thing. There's this kingpin move where he gets backed into a corner and you start to feel like oh no he's helpless and he'll he'll agree to something and he'll be like oh you got me and then he'll like do something like outrageously like aggressive and you're like oh yeah yeah <laughs> he's never in a corner you just got caught in the corner with him so there's that um here's another thing remember kafka yeah the end spoiler is that she returns <gasps> she just shows up again and oh my god Norman is like i have seen a ghost and we haven't even gotten to see john's reaction of his ex-lover coming back to life so we're gonna find out what happens there if she's a clone if she's you know something else yeah i think i'm trying to think of anything i missed that was important but i think that's pretty much it you're caught up there were like some meetings with these other people but mostly i think the focus for me is now on keenpin trying to control these horrifying <laughs> monsters that i don't even know what kind of experiments went on but they are truly nightmare fuel like they're drawn crazy scary and they are free to leave but they're choosing not to and instead are waiting for kingpin to continue that's to so bodies. wild i want to read all of this so badly Yay. oh my gosh i will definitely have to but that would conclude the comics and then on to the news part of our podcast this episode it will be movie news we had been released some new batman movie photos for the matt reeves uh robert pattinson suit did you see those at all yeah i did i think so the ones with his cowl and everything yeah and on the motorcycle and stuff yeah they were good i like it i've been hearing a lot more complaints than when they were first um announced but i don't know i like the suit i definitely feel like in those more recent photos that it's gotta be like some type of motorcycle helmet or something like that mm -hmm. compared to like the video that they released where the cowl looks a little bit more like leather mm -hmm. and plus like the helmet has like goggles and stuff and i don't know like a lot of people are disappointed because they're saying oh we just just got the Batfleck comic adaptation and now we're going back to like Christian Bale like I don't know I feel like it makes sense because it is like an early concept Batman so he is gonna go more towards like I need armor to protect me more so than um I'm gonna go with this because it looks nice yeah I mean I don't know about that interpretation personally where I would like defend it to that level but um 
I mean, it's I like the the metal um, symbol. I thought that was unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. I like to see them trying out new things. If I hear anything about it being Joe Chill's gun in reference to that Tomasi Edge, I'm gonna lose my mind. Oh, with I, the Kevin Smith story. <laughs> Kevin Smith. I keep forgetting. It was Kevin Smith in Detective 1000, right? Yep. Yeah. I thought that was super silly. Um, I don't know. I think Pattinson looks like a lot of other Batman. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look bad. Yeah, it doesn't look bad. I do think the way that they do the cowl in real life, it's hard to make it look as cool as in the comics because you always see the underside of their chin, like, squished Mm -hmm. whenever they look down, and then it makes them look like they have a double chin. (laughs) And plus, like, there's so many different terms of, like, for the ears like you can have like the super long like michael keaton ears or you can have like the jim lee's like batman hush like little tiny stubs yeah i think smaller is usually better for realism yeah um i do think that i okay so i like the sean gordon murphy cowl (laughs) to be honest i Mm -hmm. do like that i think it looks interesting i feel like it works yeah like because it's not like so much like pop-up collar like how sean gordon uh, Murphy does it. It's more like a little like protective around the neck area. Yeah, and I think it looks nice. I mm-hmm. honestly have no complaints. I'm not like thrilled with it, like out of my mind. But I yeah, know, like, I'm not saying like this is the best bat suit ever. Right, but I don't think it takes away from it. I no, I don't see. I was looking at some photos, and I don't see like his the thing that was in the preview photos about it being like a metal bat. Oh, the, the gun on his chest? I'm so annoyed because I think I might be looking at the wrong... Yeah, I don't know. You know, so- sometimes people post things and they're like... Mm-hmm. Anyways, I do remember it looking fine. In terms of next week's comics that are coming out for DC, we have Batman number 90. You have your boy Tom King with Strange Adventures number one. I'm not gonna read it. It's a black label, no less, which I somehow missed. I did not know that it was gonna be a black label. Then you have the big... Big milestone uh, Flash 750. Oh, so which it's following the same trend as um, Wonder Woman where now it's just going to be reading as like 750. Then next Flash issue will be 751, 752 and so on. And I already pre-ordered a bunch of the covers for that one because I'm crazy. <laughs> then we also have Harley Quinn 71. You have Justice League 42, Justice League Odyssey number 19, Lois Lane number 9, Superman Giant number 2. I still need to read the first one. I have it. I just haven't read it. And then Superman Villains number one, written by the Metropolis Society of Bendis, Rucka, and Faction, showing you the point of view from the villains finding out of Superman's identity, which, ugh. Not looking forward to reading that. But V, could you please read out next week's for Marvel? Well, I'm definitely reviewing Black Cat 10. And then we're going to have Daredevil number 19, Doctor Doom number 6, Excalibur 8, Marauders 9, Marvel number 1, Spider-Man Noir number 1, Spider-Verse number 6, Strange Academy number 1, Strike Force number 7, Swordmaster number 9, and 2020 Rescue number 1. Oh, so it is coming out next week. I remember seeing the name. I couldn't remember if it came out or not. I'm excited for Black Cat. I am also excited for Spider-Man Noir because I am really trying to pick up some new Marvel titles. Right now, it's pretty X-Men centric, my list, just because that was like what just came out when I just started reading the Marvel comics. But I did drop a bunch of them, like New Mutants, like, ugh. Couldn't follow that. But anyway, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Outlets podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comic you want us to cover next week.
week. And make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye.